Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. You really just sense the Spirit of the Lord uh, in worship, and uh, I still sense the Spirit of the Lord, so... Um, I'm not, we are going to uh, get through our message today, but we also just want to make sure we honor the presence of the Lord in this place, that should he desire to go in a direction, he can go in any direction he wants, and we'll be attentive to that. Uh, I mean, am I the only one? You sense it too? I mean, we know that he's here because there's two or three that are gathered, so there's the promise that he fulfills when people are gathered. But when people are gathered with expectancy and excitement and a desire, you begin to sit, sense almost like just an outpouring that, that he, he really wants to, to pierce the veil and, and begin to pour out into, onto his people. So there is the joy of coming together and being like-minded and, and being brothers and sisters in Jesus. But when we come with like a, just a the desire of the expectancy of, of his presence in a place, man. Um, we are looking for him to, to pour out his spirit, are we not? We are looking for not, uh, not a visitation, but, but, but a, a tangible uh, habitation of his presence in this place and actually, you know, in this community and in this area. So if you're not from this church, if you're just visiting, um, we believe that God has marked this place. He's marked it through prophetic words. Um, he's confirmed it in our, our spirits that um, this place is marked for a move. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, our expectations, we can run wild with our expectations. That, that doesn't mean it's going to be necessarily big or massive or anything like that. It means it's going to be impactful for his kingdom and in this area. And we're not looking, obviously, to be recognized or glorified. We want his name to be recognized and glorified in this community because there are so many people nowadays who don't, who weren't brought up like you and I were, okay? They didn't know, uh, they didn't go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, whether they wanted to or not. They didn't have the two-week revivals during the summer. They didn't have these things, you know, they didn't grow up with this. So they're growing up with an understanding of, uh, of a if they understand anything about Jesus at all, it's more of a cultural type Jesus than it is a biblical Jesus, right? And so any type of, of move that God is wanting to do on the earth today is to restore his son's name, right? Because many people have used Jesus for a lot of different kinds of things. But let me tell you something. He is, he's not a prophet. He's not a teacher. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one who died on a cross whose blood was shed for the salvation. He is not one way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. And so the church, if it's going to have a renewal or a revival, what's going to happen is there's going to be a restoration of his name, right? His name is Jesus, Yeshua, right? He is, and he is, he is the I am. This is what gets all the, the, the Pharisees so angry is when he starts talking to them, he's using cultural language that they would understand. When he tells them, uh, when he gives them the name that I am, they all get upset. They all get angry. They want to stone him because he's using the exact words that the father spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. There's nothing hidden. He's not hiding who he is. When he's confronting them and they're asking him questions, there's times where he says those things. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And they're getting angry because he's saying that that's him in the burning bush. And he's getting, they're getting angry because he's calling himself the son of God when in the culture of that day, that meant that they're the same thing. They're one, right? So the religious people of the day are getting upset because of what Jesus is saying about himself. And today in the church, sometimes people are getting upset because we're trying to restore what the name actually means. If he's the name above all names, it's if he's full of power and he's full of glory, what we've done is we've anesthetized that in the church to make it palatable for the culture. We don't say things like sin and we don't say things like that because we want to be palatable for the culture. Listen, that doesn't work on judgment day. Right? He is who he is, man. And so we are, you know, the, the church is, is desiring, the church as a whole, but this church as well too, is, is to bring restoration back 
to the name of Jesus and what it really means. Because it's not cultural. He's not, a, he's not an American Jesus, right? He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So when you look up at the stars, and maybe it's a vastly clear night. I remember this, and I told you this before, but in, in uh, uh, where was it? Zambia, right? And we're out in the uh, World Huts, World Center. What was that name of that place? Do you remember, Les? World Revolution, World... I don't know. Anyway, they have these huts out there that we were staying in. And uh, we're looking up, right? And there's no other light around. And you're seeing the, the Milky Way. And you're seeing the dark purples. And you're seeing the galaxy. And I'm sitting there with Pastor Chris. And you're looking up. And, and one or two things happens, right? You look up into that vastness of, of space. And one or two things happens. Either Jesus gets really big or he gets really small. Because when you look up at the planets and the stars that go on and on and on, one or two things happens in your mind. It's like, well, I'm just on earth, so there's, there's more out there. Maybe, you know, what's, you know, space and, and, and what does the culture say about, you know, my faith is just like this little compartmentalized thing inside my heart. Or you look at the vastness of space and you say, wow, he controls all of that. He created all of that. One of those two things happened. Because there's no, there's no in-between. There's no gray area, gray area about who he is and his name. So when I look up at the vastness of the sky, all of a sudden, God becomes a whole lot bigger because of everything that I'm seeing that he created. Or he becomes a whole lot smaller because you, we just compartmentalize him to, to us. So, so when I'm looking at my mountains in my life that I struggle with, right? And I see the vastness of the universe. And if my God is big, I look at the mountain and I laugh at it. Because the mountain is nothing in comparison to everything he is by just looking at creation and everything that he's done. Or if my Jesus is very small, then my life becomes defined by my mountain. Because there's no way of getting past it. So our, our desire is to restore the name of Jesus, of who he is. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And when I look up into space, or I look up into and see uh, on, a, on a bright night and see all the burning stars and everything like that, he gets a whole lot bigger. He really can take care of anything. And this is why when we look in, in the Gospel of Mark, and we're starting in chapter 8, and we're, I mean, the Word of God is alive, and the Word of God is real, but I'm getting excited about where the Word of God is going in Mark, Okay. So we're in chapter 8, right? And Ben did a great job of talking about tradition in chapter 7 last week and our heart and stuff. And, and now we're getting into chapter 8. And it says, in those days, there were again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. And Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for people because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them will have, and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, where uh, will anybody find enough bread here in a desolate place or a desert place to satisfy these people? Because there's no, there's no McDonald's, right? You know, there's, you, when you go on a vacation and you're traveling and you find a motel, you, you're making sure that there's places around that, that are easy, accessible to get something to eat when you're hungry and stuff like that. Well, that's not happening back then. There's no, there's no truck stops, or excuse me, camel stops back then, Right? There's none of that kind of stuff. They're, they're going out into the desert, and they're following this guy with, you know, without provisions. You know, they're in Caesarea Philippi. They're, they're around, but there's nothing easy accessible for them. So they're being drawn out to follow this guy, and they don't know necessarily where they're going to eat. They may depend on the kindness of strangers or something like that, but in, there's just there's nothing easy. But the message is so strong, and, 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 and Jesus is so impactful that it's like, I don't care. I'm going to get to wherever I have to go to be in the presence of this guy. Today we struggle to get out of bed. It's like, oh, there is a time change. Oh, I could just watch online. So tired. Your Jesus isn't that big. So they're out there, right? And he was asking, and, and so the disciples was like, where are we going to find enough bread in this desolate place? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, taking up the seven loaves. He gave thanks, he broke it, and started giving it to them. And, um, 
They also had a few small fish. He blessed that too. He ordered them to be served as well. And, he ate, and they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over in the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there. And he sent them away. And immediately entered the boat. And the disciples came uh, to the district. And the Pharisees came out and were doing what they do. Okay, so we'll stop there for a second. So here we see this is the second miracle in Mark. The first miracle of this size was just a few chapters back where he was feeding the 5,000. You remember that? And he fed the 5,000. And do you remember what he said? What is Jesus' motivation? I felt compassion. I have compassion on these people. So every time that you're looking in Mark, wherever you read like Jesus, and, and a lot of times throughout the, the rest of the Gospels as well too, Jesus' motivation is always compassion. He's not like saying, I'm going to do this to make my name known. No. He's not, he's not a televangelist, right? He's not, he's, not, he's not getting his name out there. He's not putting himself in the right position. Or he's, like, he's already in the position, okay? When you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, what else are you going to ascribe to? You, that, that's who you are. So he's not striving. He's not worried. He, just, he knows who he is, right? And so he, he, held, he feels compassion on a people that are shepherdless. You remember what we talked about a, a couple of weeks ago, too? He is the fulfillment of what Ezekiel was talking about when Ezekiel comes after the shepherds in 34. And he says, because you've, you fleeced the people, because you haven't healed anybody, because you haven't done this, I'm removing you as shepherds. And it's like, you don't remember those, remember those, uh, those, uh, the highway signs where God, they said, God says, like, don't make me come down there, right? You, well, he had to come down there because they weren't doing it. So he is the fulfillment of Ezekiel where he says, I'm going to come down. I'm going to shepherd these people myself. And so what happens? Jesus comes down. And who is he referred to? He is the great shepherd, right? And so he, he's, he's, he's moved with compassion because he sees sheep. He sees people who don't have a leader, and so he's going to gather his sheep together. That's why he weeps over Jerusalem, right? He's like, oh, Jerusalem, you who kill prophets, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not listen. I, I, you know, that was just for the Jews. That didn't happen with us, right? How I longed for you, but you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't, you wouldn't receive me. I, I wanted to be your shepherd. I wanted to, to lead you beside still waters. I wanted to, to give you some of the best grassy places where, where you could eat and, and be filled and be satisfied. Thankful that doesn't happen today. But they wouldn't have it. Yet he's still the fulfillment. And today he's still that fulfillment of that prophecy in Ezekiel where he desires to be your shepherd who will lead you, who will guide you. And here he's always motivated by compassion. He's always motivated, motivated by seeing where you're at and, and, and what's going on in your life. And he's motivated by compassion because he can fulfill everything. That doesn't mean that when you come to Jesus, you ain't ever going to have any problems. You're going to have storms. Sometimes your storms are going to get worse when you come to Jesus. Sorry. Uh, it's not a prosperity gospel. Although he does prosper you. It's not like you're never going to have storms. It's not like you're never going to have problems. But the issue is, is that when you do have those things, you have something greater than your storm that you never had before. Right? You are now serving the guy who can speak to storms and tell the winds to stop. You are dealing with the guy who now walks on water. Right? So the God of the unity, you look up at the sky and your Jesus becomes really big because you created all that from words. It's now the guy who's gotten in the middle of your business dealing with the issues that are coming against you. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But if your Jesus is not that big, if he's compartmentalized to just something that you do as an obligation on Sunday, then you're left to try and deal with your issues and your problems in and of yourself, and you become overwhelmed. And every day is a fight. I got to figure out how to do this. I got to figure out how to make this happen, or there's nothing I can do about it. And so now I'm walking in the type of misery that comes without any hope. 
And the one thing that Jesus does when he comes on the scene and you receive him is he restores hope back in your life because hope deferred makes the heart sick. So he gives you hope. He gives you uh, purpose. He gives you those things that even though it may not get better right away, there is a hope in knowing that he is on the scenes and whatever is happening to me now, now that I've received him, is going to work out for me and through me. Whereas before... I was a victim to it. So I go from being a victim to living in victory. So as, uh, as he's dealing with this, he's coming down, he sees him, he's motivated by, by compassion. He's, he's, he's going to feed these people. It's the same miracle, and, and we have the same results, <laughs> don't we? We have positive and negative results that are happening from this miracle that he's done a second time. They've been with him for three days, haven't eaten anything, and Jesus poses the problem to the disciples again, and all the people need to be fed. You ever wonder what Jesus was really trying to do in this moment? Because, I mean, he did a lot of miracles, but he's really, I mean, he's done this, you know, almost back to back, hasn't he? So you look at... Um, they've been listening for three days, probably hanging on his every word... But there's a, a second thing here that Jesus is really trying to focus on here, and that's getting his disciples to be motivated with the same compassion that he has. If you're going to, if you're going to uh, be his disciple, if, if, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you've got to be filled, and here's the great thing, you get to be filled with the same things that Jesus is filled with, which is his compassion. That motivation, that where you look at something that's unjust or something that's happened and, and the people or a, a, a state or, or like you have a vision for Nepal or you have a vision for China or Tanzania, you look at the state of the people and what they're in and, and there's something that clicks that God is now breaking your heart for and you can't help but get involved. You can't help but be motivated by the compassion that is in you to go do something. And that something is, is not just, you know, you're, you're coming in as the, the Lone Ranger on your white horse and, and saving all these pathetic people. No, no. What you're doing is you're filled with compassion to go and to bring the gospel and establish the kingdom. The only thing you're doing is introducing them to the man who will change everything. I'm not changing everything, but the man who I know is going to radically change your life may not change your situation or circumstances in that moment, but it'll change you in the middle of your circumstances, right? And so if these guys at the end of the Gospels are going to go out into all the world and, and do all these great and awesome things, they can't be doing it with their own agendas. They have to be empty of themselves. They have to be empty of what they think the Messiah came to do in their own thoughts, which is the toughest thing these guys have to do. There's not really a whole lot of difference between the disciples and the Pharisees at this point. There really isn't. Because the disciples think, are just waiting for the time when Jesus is going to restore them, <laughs> make them important again. If that were the truth, he would have come as the conquering king. He didn't. He came as the suffering servant. So, as he's trying to to get them as his disciples to be motivated by the same, the same compassion. The problem is, is when you're not motivated by the same compassion as Jesus or the compassion of Jesus, you may be motivated by agendas. So maybe, just bear with me for a second, they're looking at this stuff and they're not thinking in the supernatural because their hearts are hardened from compassion. Every time Jesus is motivated by compassion, something supernatural happens. The problem is, is the church today wants to pursue the supernatural without the compassion of Jesus. And because of that, the church or people want to set themselves up as the next new thing. And so there's competition between pastors. There's, there's all this competition of because I'm feeding myself. I'm not motivated by compassion. I'm motivated by agendas. I'm building my own kingdom within his kingdom. That doesn't work. And so what Jesus begins to do is to tear down your thoughts and your ideas of even what you think you're going to do within his kingdom. We think just because we get saved, that all of a sudden we don't have, we're excluded from that. We, we don't have our own, own agendas. I just, I just want to do what Jesus wants to do as long as he puts me on staff somewhere. 
as long as, you know, I get paid enough money. As long as we come to him with these things that he's got to do in order for us to follow him. Without reading the things, hey, if anybody wants to follow me, what does he say? You got to give it all away. This is the problem with the rich young ruler, isn't he? Comes to Jesus. What am I do to be, what do I do? Well, you know the law. Yeah, I've, I've kept the law since I was a young guy. Oh, you want to be perfect. Well, then sell everything you have and come follow me. And he walked away sad because what he had in the world was more valuable to him than seeing the God of the universe giving him the invitation for more. It's done every day. He's handing out invitations and he's saying, come, come, be a part. But the challenge is get rid of everything in your life that stands between you and I. I will, Jesus. I will. I will. Accept my 401k. It's Jesus and 401k and we will conquer the world. I'm not saying just cash out your 401k. What I'm saying is, or have the things of this world become more of a God to you than the God of the universe? Is there anything more valuable to him, to, to you, than his call beckon you to, beckoning you to come? I'm not saying don't plan for retirement. Plan for retirement. Just don't make it your God. I'm not saying don't have nice things or, or don't do fun things. Do those things. We, we should be having joy and, and having fun. With, with Christians, when we got saved, all of a sudden, uh, God, like, took out our funny bone, right? And we, we can't laugh and we can't have fun. I, I don't know why that happened, but for the sake of holiness or legalism, we can't have fun anymore. That, that's not true. We should be having fun. We just can't be led by the same things as the world. We just can't allow these things to be our gods. And so I think these disciples are, 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 are following him with this idea. At some point, he's going to set everything up, and we're going to rule the world, baby. Jesus is going to get, you know, they're going to have arguments. Oh, would you grant it to us to one sit on your right and one sit on your left? And then they get and got their mother to ask him. Right? Mom, you ask him. Mommy. Mommy, would you ask the God of the universe which one of us could be on his right and which one is left? Real brave, guys. You don't even know what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup that I'm drinking? See, everything in Jesus is about reshaping these 12 and the rest who are following him so that they can be empty of everything else except so that they can be filled with everything of who he is which is the Holy Spirit. And so he's feeding these 5,000 and these guys who have been through this miracle before. They they saw him feed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish. They saw him do that. And now they're like, that was cool. Wow. Blows my mind. But their hearts were still hard, which means that if you don't have the heart of compassion of Jesus, it doesn't matter what miracle happens in your life. It doesn't have the spiritual impact it's supposed to have if there's not the compassion of Jesus in me. So more than anything else, what you need to be asking God for is not uh, the gift of healing. It's not the gift of any of these other kinds of stuff. It is, God, can I have your compassion? Can I have your compassion for your people? That's a dangerous prayer. And that's why people don't pray it. It's because they know deep down fundamentally what that'll mean. On Wednesday night, I was talking about a person who I was talking to Jesus about. And I said, do you, what, do you, what, is, the, what is the gospel to you? What do you think the gospel means? And they had said, well, I don't know, it's going to church. Stuff like that. Like, that is absolutely not what the gospel means whatsoever. Nothing. So we talked about the gospel. 
right? We, we talked about these things and stuff like that. And, and the comment was, it's not that I don't believe what you say. It's that I don't want change. And to me, I'm like, thank you for your honesty. Because <laughs> Christians will say they do, but they really don't. Christians are the ones that tell the biggest lies in church because you say, I surrender all, while still holding back. I surrender all. No, I don't. I surrender all. It's a lie. We'll sing these things to God by, while still holding on to the things of the earth that we cherish more. And we'll say to him boldly to his face, I'll give you everything. Maybe next week. All right, let's get off that. It's enough. It's just these disciples, though, really. It's not us. It's the disciples. They're the problems. So, uh, so he's, he's trying to get them to have this compassion, right? But because their hearts are hard, the second time this miracle comes around, they're still focused on, well, where are we going to get bread? Duh! 5,000 people, 12 baskets left over two chapters ago. And now we've got 4,000 people. Hey, that's 1,000 people less. We've got some bread. We've got some fish. And they're like, where, where are we going to get? Where are we gonna, how are we going to feed all these people? Come on, guys. Let's get with it. He's, he's manifesting bread, and he's manifesting loaves, and he's doing this for, for, because of who he is, but he's doing this because the same God that fed Israel coming out of Egypt. He gave them manna in the morning. He brought them quail to eat for meat. When they didn't have water, he drew it out of a rock. When water was the problem, he separated it so they could walk on dry ground. He's the same God that was bringing a nation out of a nation and separating them and calling them holy. It's the same God who's walking around them right now. And he's walking around. He's like, oh, you, you need bread? That's easy. And so they begin to break bread, and 4,000 people are being fed by a few loaves and a few fish. And in this instance, there's seven bushels of that stuff left over. So God is just not wanting to give you just what you need. God gives you abundance when he shows up on the scene. He's not waiting for you just to scratch and claw and survive. When God provides supernaturally, it's an abundance. These people are going home with stuff. He's not standing up there saying, you're, you're lucky you're getting this much. He's saying, man, I can, I can make water come out of a rock if you're thirsty. You see this loaf? Loaf of bread? I can make it so it can feed 5,000 and you'll be full. And you'll be taking stuff home. Because I'm good. See, as we need to restore the name of Jesus, of who he truly is today, Jesus is restoring the Father's name to these people because it got corrupted by the religious people. All of a sudden, God was angry. He became more like Zeus on a mountaintop with lightning bolts, ready to strike them down every time you made a mistake. Oh, Bob, you shaved your beard. Lightning bolt. Right? And he's like, you guys, you got the wrong impression of the Father. He is so good. He desires to do so much. And I'm going to make it possible. This is Jesus talking. I'm going to make it possible for you and the Father to come into fellowship again. Just like the Garden of Eden. And so they're doing this miracle, right? Bread multiplied. Fish multiplied. Sometimes you're waiting for something spectacular to happen before we move when Jesus is just simply asking, what do you have in your hand? When you're task-oriented and not intimacy-oriented, you look at the task of what you've got to do of feeding 4,000 people and wondering how you're going to get this job done. When you're intimacy-oriented, you're like, ooh, Jesus is going to feed 4,000 people. Let's watch. What do you want me to do? What's my part in it? What do I have that he wants to use? And all the time, 
you know, we, we may, we're so focused on the problem, how to solve it, and we get our plans and get our strategies, or just simply looking at the problem instead of focusing on him. You see, I don't move mountains by focusing on the mountain. Mountains move because of my focus of, with an intimacy with the Son of God. And when you look at these disciples and see how they're going from miracle to miracle, from provision to provision, but still not understanding what Jesus is saying, it tells me that they really don't have a good understanding of who he really is and what he came to do yet. And my question is, is do we? Do we have the, the understanding of who he really is? And, and, and not just in the universe, yes, in the universe, but, 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 but there's a role for me, Father. And I want that role that you have for me. I'm not seeking fame. Listen, whatever God wants to do in this church, I hope to heaven they never know who Steve Harmon is. Because he doesn't have to be written down in the annals of faith. He, we don't have to rewrite Hebrews 11 to add Steve's name because of what Jesus did. We don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. We just want Jesus only, right? We want his name to be high and lifted up in this place amongst this people. So it, there's no agendas that come with that. Jesus, we want you to do what you have to do. And when you do it, I'm banking that from here on out, I'm going to have... Uh, a ministry going around telling people how to do it. You want a revival? This is what happened to us. Here's your five points to get revival in your church. It's basically the selling of indulgences. Not everybody. There's people who come out of revival that are revival starters and they go and they start revivals other places. But there are also people where God has done something where their way has got corrupted and now instead of all being about him, it's all about them. And the selling of many things to draw you in to get more. And outside for nineteen ninety nine, you can have my book that explains everything about that. Just kidding. All right. So I don't move mountains by focusing on the mountains. My mountains move because of how big my God is. See the mountains crumble. Not under the weight of what I say. The mountains crumble under the weight of his presence. I, I don't really have to declare much. If I'm in his presence, everything bows. Everything. All my issues, everything. I think the same thing happens today. I think uh, sometimes because we become so task-oriented or goal-focused that we forget about the power that comes through intimacy with him. Dude, you know, locked on, right? Um, this happens like all the time at this church where we'll be doing some, well, it's tough now because I'm teaching Sunday school and I'm preaching. But before that, when I wasn't teaching Sunday school, when Dan was doing other people do it, the Spirit of God is bringing things together, okay? All right, enough on that. So anyway... Um, without intimacy, I'm going to have a hard time understanding uh, who he really is, what he's trying to do in situations that present themselves. Without intimacy, I'm focused on what I can do, and I'm held back by the limitations of my power and my resources and my intellect. I, and when I, have pro- when I have no problems or issues, I'm quite comfortable in thinking that I, I've got everything handled. But, but when the storms of life happen and remind me of what little control I really have over everything, that's when I, I begin to understand if I don't have intimacy, I, I want to draw myself closer to him quick because I'm not good enough to deal with the issues. I'm not strong enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I've got nothing to offer people who are struggling with real life issues except the presence of God that dwells in me. There's nothing special about me, except in his eye. To you, you're like, oh, when is he going to be over? Right? I get it. I understand that. I am nothing without him. So why on earth would I ever try to build my own kingdom apart from him? Disciples aren't getting it. Jesus wants to show them uh, what supernatural provision really looks like. Because, and because of their lack of understanding... They're not getting it. Look at, what, look, look at what he says here. So the Pharisees are going to come. They're going to take off. They're going to meet the Pharisees. I wish they were good guys, but they're not. And they're like, hey, uh, in verse 11. And they came out and they argue with him and seeking, hey, show us a sign from heaven. And sighing deeply in his spirit, which is like, 
you know, I can, you know, I can sigh deeply and I can roll my eyes. But when the God of the universe does it, I think it's pretty important. Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you that no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them. They walked. They went to the other side. And they'd forgotten to take bread. Here we are with bread. Um, uh, And he says to them, he was giving them orders. He said, hey, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Right? And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. (laughs) And Jesus is like... Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Stop with the bread. Put the loaf down, right? Step away from the loaf, people. I'm not talking about physical bread anymore. When I'm talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, I'm not talking about the bread that you can touch. I'm talking about the poisonous doctrine that they have that's not of me that can infect you. Beware of that. And, and when your heart is hard, and that's a sign of a hard heart, is when God has to keep reminding you of stuff because you're not letting it sink in. It always for them, it is for us. It's a hard heart. A hard heart is not necessarily just all rebellious. It's just not like, a, you know, up oh, yours, God, or stuff like that that foolish people say. A hard heart is just a heart that can't receive what God is wanting to do. It may not have any pride associated with it. Your heart just may be deaf and dumb. It becomes an issue, though, if you've recognized it, but you still don't do anything about it. And the only thing you can do when you recognize that there's hardness in your heart is not to go out and read your Bible more. It's not to go out, well, I'll just, I'll put a law around it and I'll pray one hour a day instead of 30 minutes a day. I don't, I don't deal with the hardness of my heart by rules and regulations. I deal with the hardness of my heart by coming before the God of the universe and saying, I've got a hard heart. And there's nothing I can do about it. The only thing I can do is surrender to you the fact that I have a hard heart and tell you, I don't want to have a hard heart. I want to have a soft heart. Something I can squeeze. Like a little spongy thing that just soaks up your presence. But when the sponge is hard, the sponge is useless. I did the dishes yesterday. I do dishes once a year. So, um, last, last, no, I'm just kidding. So, last, <laughs> okay, anyway. So, um, the sponge, right? You know when you, you leave the sponge and it's really hard? You can, I throw it at people or throw it at the dog when they've been bad, and it hurts, right? And I'm going to hear from PETA. But anyway, um, uh, but when the sponge, when the water hits that sponge, and the sponge begins to soak up the water, the sponge becomes useful for its intended purpose. Your heart's the same way. When your heart is hard, it can't be used to wash the dishes of the Lord. When your heart is hard, you can look at the things that he's doing, but you don't have the compassion to understand the significance of what he's doing and the purposes behind it. When the water of the Holy Spirit begins to soak into the hard things of your life, then all of a sudden, what was hard begins to melt like wax. All of a sudden, you know, um, when you remember your first baby, those of you who've had children, remember your first child? I, I'm, Kelsey's going to be like, what, 33 this year? Crazy, right? Um, but I remember when she was born, right? And here's this beautiful little thing in 1990. And I'm just holding this little thing. I had no idea what it meant to be a dad. And I'm just holding this little baby. And my heart was, from that point on, was totally wrecked. Right? It happened with you guys, too. So anyway, um, so uh, your heart's just like totally wrecked. And you're holding this little thing. And you're just, you're so madly in love. And all of a sudden, you put the baby down for a nap. And you're catching a little break. And all of a sudden, you remember those toilet paper uh, commercials with the little spongy teddy bear? They had come on back in the 80s and 90s. I don't remember what the toilet paper was, but they had the little teddy bear. And, then, and you begin to weep <laughs> at a toilet paper commercial because your heart has been wrecked by this newborn. And so now any, anything that happens, oh, guys, shut up. It did happen, and you know it did. You're just afraid you're going to have to give your man card up because you admit it. But your heart was wrecked by holding this beautiful little thing. 
right? And, and, and then it, it bleeds out into other areas of your life, right? It's like now you're watching commercials and you get teared up because you've been so, your heart has been so filled with love for this little thing that now that's the filter of which you see the world and toilet paper commercials or all of a sudden you see a commercial for chilies and they've got that little volcano of chocolate love thing. Can you tell I'm hungry? And, um, and you begin to weep over a brownie. I know I'm being silly, but those things have happened. Imagine that when you allow that Lord to do that to your heart for his kingdom and out of his covenant relationship with you, he allows those, you allow that to happen and then your heart is broken and then it's no longer really about toilet paper commercials. It's about God. Lord, I don't know what's going on in the Ukraine. God, I, I don't know what's happening with the things in Africa and famines, but God, my, those are your people. And now my heart is broken, not just for the fuzzy teddy bear on the commercial. My heart is actually broken for real people whom you love. Hallelujah, compassion is filling my heart. And now I can be used for his purposes because I love what he loves instead of loving myself more. So he's showing them things. He's doing some of the thing, same things that, that God in the Old Testament is doing, and we'll, we'll bring it to a landing here. So Jesus is like, why, do you, why are you discussing that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves, he's going back. Do you, do you remember? Were you there? Do you, do you remember the five, the five loaves or the, and, and the, the 5,000? Do you remember that? He's like, listen, do you not know that I can, still, I, can, I can still bring water out of a rock if I need to, if we're thirsty? That I can multiply, that, that I can give us what we need in the physical realm as far as provision. But are you loving what I love yet? This is why people that he takes the long way to where he was going later on in the Gospels and going to Samaria. Do you realize that Jews would never step foot in Samaria? Even if the trip was shorter and cutting through Samaria, Jews would not do it because they were half-breeds at best and unclean and their entire their entire nation, the boundaries, was unclean. And so Jews would take the long way around to where they were going instead of cutting straight through to Samaria. Jesus walks into Samaria, pre making probably the disciples very uncomfortable, and goes to a well because there's a woman who has a date with the God of the universe, and he is going to phenomenally change her life. And he's sitting by the well, and she, you know, she's going to run back. She's going to go tell everybody they're going to come back and blah, blah, blah. And while he's sitting, the disciples come back, and they're like, uh, they're like, Jesus, you should eat. I'm eating the bread of my father. Here we go with the bread again. Did somebody give him bread that we did not see? He said, my bread is to do the will of the father. Guys. The Father's will is not for us to live 30 or 40 years in his kingdom and only grace the doors of this church or any church. The kingdom, yes, we come. Yes, we gather. It's not what I'm saying. But there is a broader world out there in which you are to have influence in. And it doesn't come by just spending time in this chair or this pew. It comes with being broken, maybe starting with your neighborhoods, being broken for what's going on there, seeing the brokenness of people who are shepherdless and starting there. For those of you who can do it, going into the places that Jesus would be going into today, 
but we're Christians. We don't go into those places. Why? Well, because I've spent my whole life defined by what I don't do. Don't drink, don't chew, and don't date girls who do. That's the model of Christianity. And it was. We were so defined by what we don't do that we forgot about the mission of what he's called us to do. And because of that, we are the sleeping people who have so much power, who have so much knowledge, who have so much authority, yet we don't exercise any of it. Not anymore. Not any more. Okay. So he's reminded of what I did. And then, look at this. They come to Bethesda. They brought a blind man to Jesus, implored him to touch him. And taking the blind man, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting in his eyes, spitting in his eyes and laying hands. This is why what Jesus does is not a how-to thing. We don't just go around spitting in people's eyes, hoping they get healed. There is something unique about this. I don't understand the whys. He just did it this way. Other times, he just said, be open. Other times, he may have put clay in their eyes. Other times, whatever. But in this, he spits in the guy's eye. The holy loogie of the Lord coming out and plastering this guy's forehead. I don't know. Sounds gross to me. But the guy gets healed. The only thing I get from this the only thing I really get for this is that I have the capacity to become so corrupt that sometimes God asks me to do things that seem totally outside the bounds of normalcy to see if I will still listen and still be led. That's all I got with that. But I think that's pretty powerful because I'm so default programmed to follow the rules that I would look at this New Testament and I would say, okay, I've got three options here. This person's coming up to me. They're blind. I've got to discern whether I've got to spit in their eyes, whether I've got to put clay in their eyes, or whether, I don't know, I've got to slap them. When it's not about the form, it's about the intimacy with the Father and being led and being broken to go and minister to people. So where are we at in this? Well, I've known people that God has come on the scene and delivered them from cancer diagnosis. Probably, if you've been going to this church for a while, you know, and you can have probably a testimony at some point where, where God has done something supernatural. We've seen that kind of stuff here. We have. We've seen people healed from various points of things, from migraines to, to brain cancer. Got the MRI scans. Cancer, prayer, nothing. Okay? We've got, the, we, we've, we've got a testimony of those things happening. That doesn't mean that it happens every single time, but we've seen these things happen. We yeah. have. We've seen, you, you've got a testimony, but I, I've also seen people that have had dynamic things happen that their heart became a little soft when something bad was happening to them and God showed up. And then when God did what he did, they're like, hey, thanks, God. See you later. And they kept walking as if the same way that they walked before. And the only thing that drew them to the Lord was their problem, but there wasn't a change. And so God showed up and did something, but they turned and they walked away. And, they're, and to this day, they're still doing the things. they are. And in some ways, they've gone farther away so it's not just about the miracle. And that's why Jesus can say, I'm not going to give you Pharisees a sign because the sign isn't going to change you. Your hearts are so hard for me that you need, you need a lot more than, than just a miracle. You, you need a lot more than just seeing somebody's eyes healed because they saw Jesus doing these things and they got mad at him because he did it on the Sabbath. This is what religious people do. Oh, 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 you're going to heal this guy? <clears throat> what, aren't there six days within to work, but oh, you're going to heal him on the Sabbath? That guy should remain blind until tomorrow. 
You want, you know what would happen? Tomorrow would come, and they'd have another problem with it. Their hearts were hard. They couldn't receive who he was, so they were always angry by what he was doing. And that's something that happens in the church today. I want to see God do what God wants to do. I, I, man, I, 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 love, I told you about Cuba. Unbelievable what I saw with somebody's eye. Unbelievable. Never seen that before. Never seen a creative miracle before until then. Never seen it. Heard about it. Never saw it before. And then this eye that was white, God started coloring with blue. And I'm like, whoa! And some people, some people I, I get probably sitting here like, bull. You could think that if you want to, because the Pharisees did. I know what I saw. I know who I prayed for. I know what I saw. And that lady was like, and I'm like, right? I didn't know Spanish. She didn't know English. But we knew Jesus by the time that was over, right? In a deeper way. So we've seen some things. And I think there's greater expressions of his glory that he desires here. But it's not the dog and pony show. It's not so that we can have a sign for him to prove himself. This is things that he does because he's a great shepherd and he heals his lambs. And if I don't get that same compassion, I can be in a room where miracles, signs, and wonders are happening and be unaffected by it. And that is the most dangerous place to be ever. So I'd far more rather have his compassion than any miracle working power. Because what I've noticed is sometimes he uses people in spite of themselves, and I don't want to be on that list. Amen? Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.